The following episode contains major plot points of movies. A spoiler warning is advised. This episode also contains topics that may be disturbing for some viewers, so viewer discretion is also advised. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Abbey Norrell Podcast. I am your host, Colin. And I'm Aaliyah. How is it going today? And today we are going to be discussing a new movie since we haven't done anything in a couple weeks because I was in Florida. Yep. You had to go to Florida for your brother's wedding. Yep, and I was his best man, and it was a great time, but man, I just look like a red tomato right now, so yeah. Yep, he came home this past (laughs) Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Your face was all scaly, and we were getting a lot of snow at the time in Rochester, so when you came home, I thought you had snow stuck on your face. It was just peely skin. Yeah, it was just peely skin. I just look like a snake getting into a new skin. Yep, and while you were gone, I was catching up on a lot of horror movie watchings. I watched, I think, about like five or six different movies. That's not bad for, over a, the weekend. for a week. Yeah, over the weekend. So when you left, I was watching All Hallows' Eve 2, which is a sequel to All Hallows' Eve, which mm-hmm. was the pretty much the film debut for Art the Clown. Uh, this movie didn't have art in it, but it had like a bunch of different short stories. All were very weird. All were very creepy. It wasn't as good as the first one, though. Yeah. So that was the first one I watched. Then I watched Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, which I have watched before, like, bits and pieces of. Which I'm so mad that you watched that without me, because I love that movie. Yeah, but I haven't seen it all the way through. So I got to sit down and watch it, and then I also watched Final Destination for the first time. But this is my overall, like, concept of what Final Destination is. So, Boy has a vision of a plane explosion. Right? Mm-hmm. Boy and five other people get off the plane prior to explosion. And over the course of X amount of days, each one of them die in a weird sequence of events. Mm-hmm. Right? What I don't understand is why there's so much theories and hypothesis about the order in which everybody dies. Because Devin Sawa, who's the main character of this movie, mm-hmm. he has to understand why he got the vision. He has to understand how everybody's going to die now that it's been 30 days since the plane explosion. I was going to say, isn't there so many famous, like, teen actors in that movie? Because mm. I know Stifler's in it from Apple uh, from American Pie. Yeah, he yeah, is. Yeah, Sean William Scott. And he'd had a gruesome death in that, from what I remember. Yeah, his head got cut off. Yeah. Just, by a sh- piece of shrapnel. Just like The Omen, where the guy gets his head decapitated. It's almost like that. Essentially. But the thing is, why so many theories? And even, like, his own theories end up contradicting itself. At some point in time, he disrupts the order in which these kids are supposed to die Mm -hmm. by saving one of them, and then it skips to the next person. And it's like, oh, now I have to rethink everything. Don't overthink it. Just don't die. That's your whole goal in life is to get through life without dying from some freak accident. Exactly. Exactly. So... That was my overall theory of the movie. I didn't like it. I just thought it was a little bit too too much concepts. Well, like, it's, it's funny you said that because when I was leaving to go to Florida, you said you watched that movie. It was it after you, think, you had gotten to Florida yeah. and I had watched it. Yeah, it made you think of me or something? Be- before No, before you were coming back from Florida, I had to pause to, before I watched this docuseries. But there's a docuseries on Netflix right now about the... Malaysian air flight that went missing, I think, back in 2014 or 15. Okay. It was, like, this huge thing in the news, and everybody has been speculating about where it's been all this time. And But I didn't want to watch it while you were traveling, just out of, like, superstition. I don't know why. I just didn't want to do that to myself and have myself worry about you during your travels. Yeah, and then I get lost somewhere or something. You're like, oh, crap. I shouldn't have watched that movie. Right. So then I watched, so I watched Final Destination... Then I tried watching Spoonful of Sugar on Shudder, and it just was a little too It's one of those movies that you probably don't want to watch because it's just too weird, and you're just like, you know what, after 10 minutes, I'm going to stop this. You know how there are certain independent movies that are just too artsy? And we had this conversation earlier with a guy who runs a comic book store in an antique shop. But he was even saying that some movie makers just make movies that are too artsy that you lose a lot of the story there. And I feel like that's what was happening just within the first 20 minutes of this film. So at some point, I watching it, I was trying to follow along, and it's essentially about this girl who takes a certain type of drug to help with her mental disorder, and she has 
hallucinations because she's over medicating. Mm-hmm. So it's very weird. I mean, yeah. I I would recommend it if it's something that you've got. If anybody seems like interested in watching, it's on Shutter. It's, I think it's a Shutter original. But it wasn't something that I could really pay attention to, but I might have to revisit it at another time. Well, speaking of paying attention to, the movie that we're going to be paying attention to today and talking about is called The Menu. Yeah, which is another movie that I watched over the weekend. I watched it, and I thought it was really, really good. And considering it's a movie about picking apart the food industry and what's wrong with it, I thought it would be something that you would be interested in. So I rewatched it with you after you came back from Florida. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about it? Your, I, your general thoughts. I fucking loved it. I just thought it was, for a new horror movie, I thought it was definitely something different because mm-hmm. I've never seen really like culinary or like kitchen-like atmosphere stuff mixed with horror, whatever really coexists in movies nowadays. But it right. actually does. And this movie is a prime example of that. I feel like for the cook, it was kind of like almost like a revenge flick for him. Exactly. And it, like I said, it picks apart everything that is wrong with the food service industry. Exactly. And it really has changed. Like you said, the culinary world has really changed and has come a long way since... I don't know, like 200 years ago. I mean, that, that's not to that, say. Yeah. I mean, food has always been a means of sustenance and nourishment. It's never really been considered an art form until I want to say, like, again, the past 200 years or so. I don't know. But everything has to have a presentation now. And now that. Pretty much. And now that the food industry has become more artistic than flavorful and just essentially an enjoyment of life it's a part of enjoyment of life that we all can agree to because everybody has a different taste palette everybody has different interests in food and depending on where you're from there are different cultural aspects of cooking everyone's very picky about what they eat or what they cook or just what they have in their foods right and that's what makes this movie so interesting is that It doesn't focus on that side of the culinary world. It focuses on the people who are essentially ruining it for people who actually work within it, you know, and we'll talk a little bit more when we get into the plot, but I, I'm glad you liked it. And I think a lot of people did like it in this movie. It's got a big cast. Pretty much so. Yeah. I did not know that Will Ferrell was a co-producer Which of this I, film. Which I've seen comedians go towards... I mean, comedians who are always big in, in comedy genres, and some of them actually do really good, especially with horror. There are comedian actors who love horror. Like Jordan Peele, for yeah, example. Jordan Peele. Mel Brooks, he did some attempt of doing horror, but in a more parody way. Yeah, like Young Frankenstein. And Dracula Dead and Loving It. Yeah. And also other comedians have done horror films in the past. But honestly, though, someone to produce a horror film is kind of like unheard of, especially, I mean, Jordan Peele directs. But anyone wanting to be part of a horror movie and want to be a producer. Right. I've never heard of that until Will Ferrell. And literally, I didn't even know Will Ferrell really liked scary movies. I know. And it seems so out of character for somebody like him. Because he got his start in SNL. And since then, he's had his own fucking slew of comedy movies. And that's been his craft. Yeah, I mean, he's famous for that. Yeah, exactly. And and it's always hard, too, to see actors who have primarily worked in one genre of media or movies and television to try to transition into anything outside of that it's never usually a good route to take but some people do succeed like we said jordan peele is one of them mel brooks has done his own spin and takes on it and even other people from horror have branched out into other things. I mean, even Abbott and Costello have done a slew of meat monster films. Yeah, like, like horror parodies. Yeah, they've done meat Frankenstein, meat Visible Man, meat like everyone in that realm of monsters. Right. So comedians have done this for a long time where they combine their humor with horror. Mm-hmm. And I think I, you definitely see that in this movie for sure, even though it is darker sense of humor but literally it is still like there is that sense of humor in there that still kind of cracks you up right in certain parts but other than that is a very dark film and i actually love it so that's good and i'm glad you did like it because like i said 
I watched it thinking that you would like it. And so when I watched it with you and you enjoyed it, I'm glad that you did. Yeah. Because it's not like to say I was right this whole time. No. But, like, it's good to know that I at least know what your interests are. And I know that if I take in new things, I at least have that mindset where it's like, oh, this is definitely something Colin would be into. And then you watch it and then you like it. Like, I'm glad that you liked it. Mm-hmm. So shall we get into the yeah. menu then? Yes, please. Yes. Okay. So, the menu was released on November 18th of 2022. It has a runtime of an hour and 46 minutes and was directed by Mark Millad. It was produced by Adam McKay, Betsy Koch, and Will Farrell. Distributed by Searchlight Pictures. Wait, did you say Adam McKay? Yeah, Adam McKay. He with he worked with Will Farrell for years and like really? Ricky Bobby, Anchorman, Old School. Okay. Well, yeah. that makes sense then. So it's so funny there because are he's some... a comedian producer. Oh, he's a comedian director. Yeah, and it does make sense because <clears throat> it does have some comedy to it. Like, very lighthearted moments where you can't help but chuckle when things like that happen. It has writers like Seth Reese and Will Tracy in it. And it's a really... They really did a good job of writing this film. I think the script and the storyline is just really good. What mm-hmm. did you think of their writing? I, I thought the writing was definitely clever, for sure. Mm-hmm. Especially um, the um, like the stories of each person that you didn't expect and the ideas that they have for each each course and stuff like that. It just seems more of a revenge more and more with each course. Because I think they have about five courses. Yeah, it's... Oh, yeah, I was going to say it was like a four-course meal, but it's technically not because they had four courses, an amuse-bouche, which is like an appetizer, a bread plate, and a dessert mm-hmm. at the end. Yeah. So it was more of like a seven-course meal. That was ridiculous. Yeah. So it stars Anya Taylor-Joy as Margot Mills, Nicholas Holt as Tyler Ledford, Ralph Fiennes as Chef Slovak, I don't know if it's Slovic or Slowick. I've heard it pronounced both ways. I just say Slovic. Hong Cho is Elsa. John Legazamo as the movie star, and he's just titled. He's just credited movie as star. the movie star. Yeah. He has two different names. He's addressed by in this movie, but he's just credited as the movie star. He. It's so funny with. And Janet McTeer as William. We'll discuss John Leguizamo's character of how he portrayed that character and where he got that from. In 2019, Emma Stone was attached to play the lead role with Alexander Payne directing. But by 2021, Anya Taylor-Joy replaced Stone and Mark Millad uh, replaced replaced Payne. Yes. Yes. John Leguizamo's character is officially called George Diaz, but he is simply (laughs) credited as the movie star, like we said. Legazamo based his character of a washed-up action star on Steven Seagal, whom he called a, quote, horrible human due to a particularly bad experience while working with Seagal on Executive Decision. And in multiple references to Diaz playing a cook in one of his movies, maybe a nod to Under Siege, where Seagal also played a cook. Which is interesting. It is interesting, so mm-hmm. it's cool to get inspiration from someone who acted like an asshole. Right. So, yeah. The cast spent a week in intensive rehearsals before filming commenced. COVID protocols meant that they effectively formed a tight bubble that ended up playing well on screen. Would you say that's correct, Colin? Mm-hmm. I mean, they all really look like they seem to have chemistry together. I feel like... Because of the dynamic in this movie, because it's not just this one group of people going to a dinner party. It's couples or groups of three. Like So you have Tyler and Margot. You have the rich couple. I can't remember their names, but... Oh, funny, interest, funny thing about that. The wife to that husband... Her name's Linda Light, I think, and she's actually from the show Who's the Boss. She was Tony Danza's love interest in, okay. in the 80s. All right. So back then, she was definitely super hot. But she <laughs> and her on-screen <laughs> husband are regulars of Chef Slovics. They go to his restaurants all the time. They show up as a couple. Lillian Bloom and her editor show up as a party of two. George Diaz, the actor, shows up with his assistant. They show up as a party of two. 
And then you have the group of three business investors who work for what's his face, Mr. Varick, yeah. the Bernie Madoff wannabe, yeah. which we'll get into why I call him that later. They all show up in these different parties. It's not like they're all together and they all know each other. Some yeah. of them do know each other, which we will also get into, but what do you think? I mean, it was cool how everyone just got together and just meet, especially with everyone seeing John Leguizamo's character, and he acted like he was like a big shot, but literally he's just a washed-up actor. Right. Yeah. So some pre-production notes before we get into our plot. Screenwriter Will Tracy came up with the idea of the story while on his honeymoon in Bergen, Norway. When he took a boat to a fancy restaurant, and I'm not going to even try to pronounce this name because if I do, I'm going to butcher it. And I know a lot of people don't like it when we mispronounce certain words and names. But it's a kind of like the Hawthorne Island. It's a remote island off of Norway. It's a restaurant on an island with live-in Is it chefs. Really a restaurant off of Norway? I didn't know it was Norway. Not Hawthorne itself, but Hawthorne's is, is is based off of this restaurant. Oh. On a nearby private island, and they realized they were stuck, or essentially trapped, on the island until the meal was done. There are numerous references to restaurant Norma, or Noma, that's in Copenhagen, starting from the location, the idea, the concept, and ending with the menu itself. Filming began on September 3rd of 2001 in Savannah, Georgia. With cinematography... 2001? Yeah. Or 2021? 2021? Yeah. Okay. With cinematographer Peter Deming, several of the beach shots were filmed at Driftwood Beach on Jekyll Island, Georgia, and the entire kitchen team was trained to actually create the dishes broken down station by station so that if at any time you look at them, they're all doing the correct things they should be doing for that dish were it real life and not a movie. And I love it when filmmakers do this. They shoot for authenticity because I'm pretty sure over the years when people are not as authentic about their presentations of a story, especially when in terms of cultural or industrial aspects Mm -hmm. of... Yeah, well, you want to make it as real as it gets. So that's what they were trying to do. I'm saying it's more for, like, the spectators who watch it and are like, Mm -hmm. you know, that's not how it really happens. And it's like, yeah, but it's a movie. You're not meant to pay attention that closely to detail. But these, these types of filmmakers do. Yeah. And especially in a movie that primarily focuses on one specific aspect of the food service industry... I think that's pretty impressive that they went that hard into shooting for authenticity, Mm -hmm. which I thought was cool. And the lavish food layouts were prepared by renowned French chef Dominique Crun, the only female chef in the United States to attain three Michelin stars for her restaurant Atelier Crun in San Francisco as of 2016. Kren was also the food consultant during production of the film, and Fines even picked up some of her mannerisms for Slovak. For example, Kren is known for creating menus in the form form of poems, something Slovak does in the movie. Mm-hmm. I think this is pretty impressive. I think it is. Yeah. Definitely. Again, I like that they shoot for authenticity. I love the dynamic of the entire cast and everything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll get into the plot then. Foodie Tyler Ledford and his date Margot Mills travel by boat to Hawthorne, an exclusive restaurant owned and operated by celebrity chef Julian Slovic, located on a private island. The other guests attending the dinner are Lillian Bloom, a food critic, her editor, Ted, wealthy regulars Richard and Anne Liebrandt, which is the name I couldn't think of earlier. It's Liebrandt. Mm-hmm. Washed-up movie star George Diaz and his personal assistant, Felicity Lynn. Business partners Soren, Dave, and Bryce. God, those guys were dicks. Oh, I hated them. Yeah. I hate them, but we'll get into that a little bit. Also in attendance is Slowick's alcoholic mother, Linda. The group is given a tour of the island by the restaurant's maitre d', Elsa, who notes that Margot was not Tyler's designated guest for the evening. So Tyler had another date planned for mm-hmm. this night. 
But and she broke up with him. Yeah, I think her name was Vanderbilt or something. I can't mm-hmm. remember. It's Vanderbilt, yeah. But when they check in on the island, Elsa says something, I believe, to Margot, like, you shouldn't be here. And she's not sure if it means, like, what, am I not, like, fancy enough to be part of this dinner party? No. It's a whole other darker meaning, but we'll get into that. Let's talk about foodies, though, while we're talking about Tyler for a little bit. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about foodies? Foodies are just very annoying people. Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, they think they know everything about foods. They're, they're the type of people that get their food, take their take the pictures of them, and just kind of examine them and everything before they eat. They barely eat the food because they're mostly just talking about it. Right. But that's the thing, though, is that for me, I'm not a foodie, but I love food. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'd rather just chow down and eat it than freaking... You know, just talk about it for like 20 minutes before my food gets cold. Right. And that's how foodies are. They really kind of direct their their interest towards food, but overdo it. And they're kind of, oh, I just, I don't know. It just annoys me. But the thing is, I've taken pictures of food before, but I just do that because it just looks so good. Right. And, and you don't do it as like to make a career out of it. Oh, hell no. Foodies are the internet versions of food critics. They go to all these restaurants, whether it be high-end or dive bars or diners or whatever. Mm -hmm. They order the most creative or highest expensive item on the menu. And then they take pictures and they critique it as if they were a food critic. And then they post it all over social media in hopes that their followers will give them some sort of recognition or validation for what they're doing. Even Mm -hmm. though it's not legitimately a food critic critiquing food. You know what I mean? Yep. The thing about people with Tyler Ledford is that they don't care about most of the people who are there. The only people who matter to people like Tyler are the food critics who are legitimate and credentialed. And also the chef. And the chef. He doesn't even care about the chef's staff, which is disrespectful. Mm -hmm. But that's besides the point. So, like I said, Tyler had a date. The date broke up with him prior to the dinner party. I could see why. Yes. As a last-minute effort, he invited Margot to be his plus one for this date. And I'm going to say it now because I don't know if they bring it up later. But the reason why he needed a date is because the chef does not see parties of one. Mm -hmm. So, that being said, we'll get back into the plot. So dinner begins and Chef Slovak introduces a series of courses, delivering increasingly unsettling monologues about each dish. Now, like I said, he presents an amouche-bouche, which is an appetizer. He does this weird demonstration about bread being a huge part of literature and life and even religion, which is true in most cases. But he then he presents them a bread plate with no bread. Yeah. And a bread plate is usually a plate of bread but isn't the flavor in the thing is like the bread so essentially what this was it was a breadless plate with different spreads on it but no bread to spread it on which is odd yeah and people think it's a joke of some kind Mm -hmm. and i do want to point out this one part because this is as we as we usually tend to see in a lot of movies like this there's usually a build-up to when shit hits the fan. You know, like we get these little red flags that something just isn't right about this island and these people who are on the island. And it's this interaction with the three business partners and Elsa. So they get the bread plates, they think it's a joke, and they want real bread. So they call over Elsa and they ask for bread or essentially demand that she gives them bread. And she says, no, it's not part of the menu. We are not serving bread at this time. One of them, I think it's Dave, I believe, he starts to become demanding, tries to bribe her into giving him bread. And as she's like feigning, you know, fixing his seat and his napkin on his lap, she whispers this to him. You will eat less than you desire and more than you deserve in a very sinister way. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like one of the earliest red flags of this movie that well, we tend to see. She was a little see. psycho for sure. She was a little unhinged. Yeah. And I get it. I feel like a lot of people who work in the service industry who are either hostesses or waitresses are kind of like Elsa, where she has to deal with people like this on a daily basis, and she can't go against her chef's wishes. She has to kind of tell these people, I'm sorry that I can't give you what you want. You're just going to have to deal with it. She literally said fuck off in a very nice way. 
No, she is pretty much telling her, like, you're going to get more than what you bargained for today. I guarantee. But not in a good way. My favorite part, though, is this one. For the third course, uncomfortable truths come about each guest ranging from affairs to embezzlement are exposed via laser-printed images on tortillas. Remember that scene? Mm-hmm. Which I love that. I do love that. Because, like I said, amateur Bernie Madoffs. So, for those of you who don't know, Bernie Madoff was one of those Wall Street tycoon type... <laughs> tycoon. Tycoon type. Oh my God. Who was running a Ponzi scheme for over 20 years on Wall Street. And eventually he got caught. He was arrested and tried, but he committed suicide while he was in jail. And that was just a whole thing. And these business partners, Soren, Dave, and Bryce, all work for this one guy named Doug Varick. And Doug Varick was the man who was telling them to falsify bank statements from their clients to ensure that there was no wrongdoing going on with the company, which is not good. And with the affairs thing, Richard and Anne Liebrandt had a daughter, but Anne points out to her husband that she that Margot looks like their daughter. And he tries to dismiss it. He's like, oh, well, don't look at her. You know, don't worry about her. Just, you know, keep your eyes off her and just, just eat your dinner, essentially. But Margot keeps looking at Richard because she knows him, mm-hmm. which we'll probably get into a little bit. There's but a lot on, of things we're going to get into on, a little on, bit. On their tortillas is pictures of Richard with a unknown woman. I believe it might be Margot, but they never confirm or deny who it is. Mm. One of the other things that shows up on the tortillas on Lillian Bloom, the critic, are reviews of all the restaurants that she's ever reviewed that have closed down because of said reviews. So Lillian, like most food critics, she goes to restaurants. She tries out dishes that are most popular or mostly highly recommended she tastes them and she critiques about them and Mm -hmm. she writes them in these articles and her editor ted publishes them whether she likes it or doesn't like it she will write a review about it and depending on how that review does can make or break a restaurant and because she knows that her power and her position has the ability to influence people on where they should spend their money whether on one restaurant or another restaurant, Ted knows and she knows Mm. that she has the power to shut businesses down. True. Which is not good for for anybody in Mm. those positions. Yeah. And Slovak knows this, even though Lillian Bloom is essentially the food critic who put Slovak on the map, so to speak, Mm. right? Yeah. Tyler's tortillas are actually pictures of Tyler taking Taking pictures pictures of the meals. Which is pretty funny. Which I want to point out another thing. At no point in time was Tyler supposed to take pictures of the food during this dinner party. Yeah, that's a big no-no. It's a big no-no. It's a big fucking no-no. And Elsa and Slovak have all made it clear Mm -hmm. that you're not supposed to take pictures during the meal. But what does he do? What does he do? Take pictures. He takes a bunch of fucking pictures because he's a little foodie whore. Anyway, (laughs) during the fourth course, sous chef Jeremy kills himself, causing panic amongst the guests. Except for Tyler. When Richard tries to leave, the staff cuts off his ring finger. Hawthorne's angel investor, Doug Varick, to whom Slovak had to relinquish ownership of the restaurant to stay afloat during the COVID-19 pandemic, is then drowned. For the fifth course, which begins with Slovak allowing himself to be stabbed by Catherine, a female employee whom he sexually harassed. The female guests dine with Catherine while the male guests are given the chance to escape the island via a game of cat and mouse. But Slovak's staff catch all of them. Catherine reveals that she was the one who suggested to Slovak all of the guests and everyone on the island will die that night. Mm. Which... I know, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, which was pretty interesting. Yeah. So. What do you think? Damn it. No, what? Stop asking me what do you think. Like, seriously, what, what am I going to take shots here? Well, when when you found out that they were all going <sighs> to die that night. Yeah. When, when that news was broken out to them, mm-hmm. what did you think? It was funny because when... Um, while all the guys are getting chased, all the women are sitting sitting together at the table, mm-hmm. and they're just talking about their lives and everything. And the one woman was like, "Did you? Were you my my husband's? 
date or escort? And she said yes. Have you slept with my husband? Yeah, and she said yes. And literally, they said, we're all going to die tonight, right? And she's like, yeah, anyone want wine? Well, well, Lillian tries to reason with her, saying, "I I can make you famous. You know, we just have to talk about this, like, whole death thing. And Catherine's like, oh, no, everybody has to die. It's all part of the menu. It was actually my idea that everybody would die tonight. It just... It just completes the menu and everything. Yeah, and literally after that, she was like, does anyone want wine? And everyone Well, yeah, like, because yeah. because when Lillian realized that Catherine was the one who suggested that everybody should die tonight, she's like, well, there's no reasoning with this girl. <laughs> We're all going to die today. So we all might as well get drunk. Mm-hmm. Actress, Which I probably do that. Yep. Actress Amy Carrero revealed that the director, Mark Malone, offered each of the actors one, quote, freebie take after securing a scripted take in which he encouraged the actors to improvise material, which is also how Slovak's Taco Tuesday line ended up in the final cut. In the Taco Tuesday course, the chicken thighs are served on a wound-up telephone cord like the one Slovak's father tried to strangle his mother with. Wow. Yes. Which is another part of the whole thing. He reveals about his childhood and his upbringing and how he grew up with an abusive father. That was kind of like like choking the chicken, right? And then that was like kind of like why they had the chicken there. No, it's why it's the the coiled up telephone cord is what the chicken was sitting on top of. That was uh, the metaphor. That makes sense. Yes. 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 Okay. Well, go on. So Slovak explains that each guest was invited because they either contributed to him losing his passion for his craft or because they make a living off of ex- exploiting the work of artisans and workers like him and his team. He announces that everyone present will be dead by the end of the night. And since Margot's presence was unplanned, Slovak privately gives her the choice of either dying with the staff or the guests. And when she hesitates, he chooses the former for her. Which I don't get. She's going to die either way. What difference does it make if she dies with the staff or with the guests? What's really the difference, yeah. There's no difference. At the end of the day, you all die. It's like it's like eating food all mixed together or separate. You know, when you have your your protein, your carb, and your vegetables. Some people like to eat it all together, and some people like to eat it separate. But at the end of the day, it's all going to the same hole, and it's all coming out of the same hole in one color. I'm just saying. There's no there's no rhyme or reason for this. Okay. Anyway. Margot is unmasked as an escort who has previously served Richard and whose real name is Aaron. Slovak reveals that Tyler was invited to the dinner months in advance and was informed that the guests would be killed. Despite this, Tyler was so zealous in his desire to participate in Slovak's craft that he kept it secret and hired Margot to replace his ex-girlfriend for the evening simply because Hawthorne did not offer to seat for parties of one. And I love what happens. So Slovak, during this presentation, makes Tyler admit to everybody that he had known about this entire plan months in advance. Mm-hmm. And that despite the fact that his dinner date for that night dumped him and didn't want to go, he hired a unknowingly participant to be part of this dinner party, knowing that she would most likely die along with himself and everybody else in that room. And when she realizes this, she's sitting across from him, and you can see her face transform from shock to anger and then to outrage as she lunges over the table and starts to wail on Tyler, mm-hmm. calling him an entitled piece of shit. Wow. Yeah, I do. Which he that. is. Yeah. He is. So Slowick invites Tyler to cook, then humiliates him in front of everybody by insulting his food. Slowick whispers in Tyler's ear, and Tyler leaves the kitchen downcast. Now, I do want to talk about this part too, because I think a lot of the things that is wrong with this whole foodie craze is that. Just because you believe yourself to be a food connoisseur or food critic or an expert on food and tastes and palates doesn't make you a chef, Mm -hmm. right? And this entire dinner party, Tyler has been 
kissing Chef Slovak's ass, trying to earn his praises for being a good boy and being the rotten soldier to Slovak's brigade. Mm-hmm. And all Slovak does is humiliates him. He's like, okay, you think you know what it takes to be a chef? Right. Go ahead. Cook us something. So he and his staff all gather around Tyler as Tyler scrambles throughout the kitchen, trying to come up with a dish because, he, like I said, he believes that he has the knowledge to understand how food is prepared and to be cooked and all this stuff. Yet when he when it comes down to it, he can't perform. Exactly. He can't cook for shit. And you even took a picture of the food, right? Like, you thought it was so funny that they actually added it to part of the menu. And it was Tyler's bullshit. And it was undercooked lamb, buttered saute, leeks, and shallots. And it, it was just terrible. Yeah. Right? Exactly. So, what did you think about that scene? Well, I mean, like you said, he uh, basically got um, uh, humiliated by... The chef in front of everyone, which he totally deserved because mm-hmm. he's just a prick. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like for people like that, totally do deserve that treatment. Right. So, And although we don't know exactly what Slovak says to Tyler before he exits the kitchen, I want to say it was probably something along the lines of, if you can't take the pressures of being a chef, get the fuck out of my kitchen. Which is probably what Tyler... I mean, Tyler did. He exited stage left, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So Slovak asks Margot to go to the smokehouse and collect a barrel needed for dessert. As she leaves the kitchen, she sees Tyler's body in a closet after he has hanged himself. En route, Margot sneaks into Slovak's house, only to be attacked by jealous Elsa, fearful that she would be replaced by Margot. Which I don't understand. If you were... If you are the hostess of Chef Slovak's restaurant and you Mm -hmm. are fully aware of the plan that is taking place throughout the day, Mm -hmm. what makes you think that Slovak is going to replace you with another person? Exactly. You're all going to die tonight. So it doesn't really matter. Like, unless she believes that this is all part of Slovak's some crazy test and that none of them are going to die tonight and that this is... Him testing Elsa in her capability of continuing to be his hostess. Because everybody thinks that Slovak sees something in Margot that even Tyler can't see for himself. Not that the, not that Tyler's opinion fucking matters at this point. Yeah, he's just a fucking dumb shit. He is. But what I don't understand is why attack Margot out of jealousy if you know you're going to die tonight? Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, if you all die and Slovak dies, what does it matter? Yeah. Slovak's not going to be there to replace you. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just something about that just didn't make sense to me. But after a scuffle, Margot accidentally kills Elsa. After seeing a framed Employee of the Month award showing Slovak as a young and happy cook at a greasy spoon diner, Margot finds a radio, calls for help, and returns to the restaurant with the barrel. A Coast Guard officer named Dale arrives from his boat, but after the guests are convinced they have been saved, he reveals himself to be a line cook in disguise and returns to the kitchen. And another side note, the wine steward's accent starts in French and becomes more and more American with every serving. Did you notice that? A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Which is weird. So, yeah. so with each course, there is a member of the staff, which the wording I cannot pronounce, but there's, they're essentially the wine steward. They come around with different samples of wine for the guests to try with each that would they believe would pair well with the meal, right? Mm-hmm. It comes around every time, and I didn't notice it, but if I ever watch it again, I'll try to notice it next time. Yeah. But apparently the, his accent starts in French and then works his way more and more into, like, American, which is interesting. I didn't even know that. Mm-hmm. And it could be because with all the stuff that's unfolding over a period of time, they probably don't even notice it. Exactly. Just like I did. You're so caught up with what's going on around you that you don't even notice, like, the subtle nuances and everything. Yeah. This is my favorite part. As dessert is being prepared, Margot mocks Slovak's dishes and, quote, loveless cooking and complains that she is still hungry. When Slovak asks what she would like to eat, Margot requests a cheeseburger and fries. Moved by her humble request... 
Slovak personally does so, finding joy in creating the dish, and after one bite, Margot requests to take it to go. Slovak and the staff allow her to leave, with Anne silently encouraging her to do so. Margot takes the Coast Guard boat docked nearby and escapes the island. And I want to read what she says to him about his cooking, because throughout the entirety of the movie, Margot is not at all impressed with the mm. craftsmanship that goes into culinary arts like Tyler is. Yeah. And I think that's what I think is so funny about Tyler being so involved with the craft of culinary arts that he doesn't realize that people don't care as much as he does. And he even has a moment earlier on in the movie where mm-hmm. he thinks that people who are in to music or sports or movies, what they care about is bullshit. But what culinary arts to him is like, it's holier than thou kind of thing. Yeah. So when Margot finally realizes, I haven't eaten anything of his dishes. So she says, I don't like your food. Slovak says, what did you say? And Margot says, I said, I don't like your food. And I would like to send it back. Slovak says, I'm sorry to hear that. What about my food is not to your liking? Margot says, for starters, you've taken the joy out of eating. Every dish you serve tonight has been some intellectual exercise rather than something you want to sit and enjoy. When I eat your food, it tastes like it was made with no love. Slovak says, oh, this is ridiculous. We always cook with love. Everyone knows love is the most important ingredient. Margot says, then you're kidding yourself. Come on, chef. I thought tonight was a night of hard home truths. This is one of them. You cook with obsession, not love. Even your hot dishes are cold. You're a chef. Your single purpose on this earth is to serve people food that they might actually like and you have failed. You've failed and you've bored me. And the worst part is, is I'm still fucking hungry. Isn't that interesting? I just love how so simple that is. It's so simple, but direct to the point and very honest. Right. And I love that, like... Because let's be honest, Margot here is the final girl. Yeah. She's the ultimate final girl in this movie. And usually when final girls or final people or anybody in a horror movie has a monologue moment, it's always so intellectually boring that you kind of lose your interest in what's going on. But with Margot, it's so simple and to the point That it keeps my interest long enough to realize that she's calling him out for his bullshit. Mm -hmm. And I love that. I love it. Because, again, it doesn't need to be complex. It just needs to be simple. And her request of ordering a cheeseburger with fries is not only so fucking simple, but it's it's perfect. It's actually genius, yeah. It's perfect because a cheeseburger restaurant is where he got his start in the first place. It's where he found his love for cooking food. Mm-hmm. And she appealed to his better nature in that way. And I think that's one of the reasons why he allowed her to leave. Not only that, but by by taking that initiative to say, I didn't like your food and I would like something else. It allowed her to take control of the situation. So by taking one bite, saying her eyes were bigger than her stomach... Asking to take it to go and then paying him and leaving. Like, she took control of the whole situation and he just let her do it. Yeah, because she's smart. Exactly. I love it. I love it. I'm sorry. It's just such a good movie. So, the dessert is an elevated s'mores dish. The staff covered the floor with crushed graham crackers and adorned the guests with stoles made of marshmallows and hats made of chocolate. Slovak then sets the restaurant ablaze, detonating the barrel and killing the guests, staff, and himself. Safely away from the island, Margot eats her cheeseburger in silence while watching the restaurant burn, using a copy of the menu to wipe her mouth. The s'mores course was inspired by three Michelin star restaurant, Alinea. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and I apologize if I am. Their final dessert course, where chocolate and confectionaries are painted directly on the table as a mural. And from the very beginning, like I said, Margot shows that she is a true appreciate that she has a true appreciation for food and that the wealthier clients have lost in the spectacle. 
She mentions that she enjoys just a simple oyster instead of oysters with all the show, showing that her palate isn't the issue. The loveless, over-the-top food is. When eating the first course, Margot sarcastically pretends to, quote, understand Slovak's intellectual process behind creating the dishes. And as the film progresses, it becomes apparent that Margot is the only one who is truly understanding where Slovak's dissatisfaction originates. Yeah, no, entirely true, yes. But I love that ending, you know? She's she's sitting on the Coast Guard boat and she's eating the leftovers of her food. She's wiping the menu with her mouth. Yeah, it's definitely a, a much simpler you know, sweet ending for her. Right. And it's just so, it's just, it for me, it feels iconic in a way. Like, if I ever start in a horror movie, this is how I would want my final girl moment to be. Just taking in, eating, eating some good fucking food, watching the world burn from afar. Like, I love that. I would, There's just yeah. something, <laughs> there's something so empowering in that moment. I feel like I would enjoy that also, especially if I want to eat something, you know, mm-hmm. especially when it feels like it's like the world almost ending or some shit like that. All right. I would definitely go down a blaze of glory with a bunch of food in my plate. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. how else do you want to go? I mean, honestly, it's just like I'd rather just kind of enjoy myself in my last moments and eat my food before I just get evaporated. Well, she's not getting evaporated. Well, no, I'm saying, I'm saying in life in general, for example, like if... If the world ended like it was supposed to back in 2012... Ugh, don't even get me started on like, that bullshit. I would just... Um, I would just want to sit there and eat my food and just wait for the world to die. Right. And I think that it's so... Again, it's just so simple. It's the simplest way to end a movie. Sure. But it's, it's effective. Again, nothing needs <clears throat> to be complex. It just needs to be simple enough for you to follow understand and process what's happening Mm -hmm. and then if you can sit there and process enough to come to some sort of acceptance and say yeah this is what the world is like because most of what movies are based off is satire so in this example we have the food industry at its worst true you have critics whose job it is to just go to places eat food write about it and then, again, knowing that they have the power to make or break a restaurant, which is never good for any restaurant business. It's always very stressful and nerve-wracking. True. And then you have the business partners who know that they have the money to be able to afford the finest of things. And if they so happen to choose your restaurant, they flaunt their wealthy status in your face. And say, oh, well, if I'm not getting the service that I'm expecting. I can just take my money and spend it elsewhere. Ugh. Like, that's going to hurt me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Again, the entitlement. And then you've got people like Tyler who take all the mystery and finesse out of cooking by publicly displaying all of its secrets to the world on the internet. Exactly. Again, it, it, that's just the whole thing. I think the only one who is truly innocent here, probably, well, yeah, Margot. She's she had nothing to do with this. But I think out of everybody who was invited to this dinner party, I want to say really the truly innocent one in this is probably the movie star. I mean, he's a dick. He's a dick to everybody around him. Yeah, but he didn't really do anything. But his his only his only flaw with getting on Slovak's bad side is that he starred in a movie that Slovak hated and chose to watch on his one day off from one year whenever he made that movie. And it's like, who cares, you know? Right. You know, well, it's I like, guess he cares. Right. Oh, it's just, it just, that just seemed like the pettiest reason to hate somebody. I you get know? that. Yeah. But yeah. Any thoughts you want to address before we wrap up today's episode? Um... Not really, besides this movie has actually been surprisingly super good, and I really love what the story was about and how it was resolved and just all these things that happened in it. Mm-hmm. And just, I was just like, wow, I really didn't know they could make movies like this, but they can. Yeah. And I think that's what I definitely appreciate uh, the menu for, for its originality and also its truthfulness and snarkiness and just... 
just it's dark sense of humor and just it's way on getting each person back in each course yeah do appreciate that yeah because like you said i mean despite despite what happens throughout the dinner and the menu they always stick to the menu. Everybody yeah. goes back into their stations in the kitchen. Well, that's the main between. rule. Yes, you stick it, to the menu. Well, yeah. Well, every every staff member in the kitchen goes back to their stations in between every course. All the waiters and guards are have their own positions in the restaurant where they should be. And all, this, all the guests go back to their seats mm-hmm. like they should. Because obviously from that one demonstration of when Richard Labrant went to get up and leave, they all saw what happened to him. And they're like, okay, I guess we're not going to try to even leave. So they're yeah. just stuck there. Okay. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So other than that, I think we're good for this episode. Yeah. Yeah, and it's been a, definitely a very interesting episode to talk about this for sure. Yeah. So, yes. You want to talk about what we're going to talk about next week? Um, yeah, sure. So um, next week, we are going to be talking about Cocaine Bear, which we watched, I believe, the day before Colin left for Florida. Yes, we did. Yeah. I do remember that. Yeah. I know. That was a great, that was a weird 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I do remember that. So yeah, that was definitely a weird time. Yeah, but it was a fun time, though. Yes, it was. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we'll talk more about it next Sunday. Definitely. So until then, just keep on listening. Mm-hmm. And thank you all for listening today. And this has been an episode of the Abbey Normal Podcast. I'm your host, Colin. And I'm Aaliyah. Signing off saying, there is no way to avoid the mess. The mess you make of your life, of your body, of your insanity, by giving everything you have to pleasing people you will never know. As always, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We are currently on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. Be sure to give us a like, subscribe, or a nice review for our podcast. It helps boost our show positively. You can also follow us on Instagram and now on TikTok.